from Romans chapter 12. I'm sure they may very well be familiar verses. And uh, this is uh, continuing our theme in the, in the mornings, growing in Christ, seeking to grow in Christ, that it's his intention for us. And indeed, we are praying for each other that that should be so. So chapter 12, verse 1, it's on the screen, and I shall read verses 1 and 2. Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and he's gone through some amazing insights and uh, declared some very, very powerful things, and comes to this point. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to read the, uh, the same passage in, in the message version. We've uh, read it and heard that together. So here is uh, how Eugene Peterson in, in the message would uh, capture these words and, and help us to, to hear them in a fresh way. So here's what you are to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are fully committed to your people, to us, to your church, globally and locally. We come as we are, in our culture, in our time, with our insights and blind spots, we are here, as is your spirit. Through the scriptures, through the words that I'll share around these texts, would you Help us to take the next steps towards maturity in Jesus, to grow. May we hear that God seeks the best for us and the best out of us. Please, Lord, develop well-formed maturity in us. Amen. Scripture, the Bible, is amazing. It's wonderful. It is deep. It is profound. It 
challenges our thinking, but it is ever, ever so practical. It isn't just theoretical, but is very earthy. I love it when people on the door say, God spoke through the scriptures, through what you shared, into my now. That in my prayer time, I had a sense from the Lord that I was crying out, Lord, I'm seeking your face. Help me to understand the way to go. And he does, as we heard in our prayer time, trust your ways to the Lord. The scriptures inspire and show us what it looks like in all the wonderful texture and vibrancy of a person of faith and what it looks like in terms of believing and loving and growing and following. It also mirrors for us, holds up a kind of a lens for us to say what it doesn't look like. There are lots of characters, even the ones we celebrate as heroes of the faith, who are also, oh so human, like us. In it, God weaves his grace and his mercy. Meeting people, persons. Paul writes, in view of, in view of God's mercy. It's a famous verse, in view of. I wonder when the last time you had an in view of at a uh, sporting event where you had a wonderful seat and you weren't behind a pillar, kind of like, oh, I can't quite see, in view of, in the beautiful sunsets of the, uh, the autumn, that pristine place at a wedding where you can just see the faces and the emotion, in view of. Paul casts this vision for us and introduces for us from all the riches of, uh, of the early chapters in Romans and says, in the light of this, in the light of this astonishing mystery that has been made known in Jesus Christ, in the light of, of the complexity of the human experience where it seemed to be dead end upon dead end upon dead end of finding our way to God, God in his mercy sends his son. That which we were powerless to do, unable, impotent, prevented from, he makes the way. In view of all that God has done, because of God, the good news that has come and arrested and reshaping our worlds, this good news, therefore, therefore, the so what, our perspective, our beliefs, our theology, our ideology get reshaped. Did you know that what we imbibe, what we discern that which we've grown up, our culture, our Western civilization, wherever that story of life has brought you, affects you in great measure. Affects our outlook of what we do and how we do it, behavior. And we can get caught up with the flow, peer pressure. Have you been part of peer pressure this week? these last few weeks? I don't know, maybe. Sure you have. Family pressure? Financial pressure? Mortgages? Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it, as we observe and live in our culture, uh, how often things can get in motion, snowball perhaps, 
I'm no expert on this, but as uh, the, the government amount announced its uh, mini-statement, mini-budget, whatever it's been called, there was a confidence and also a lack of confidence that happened very quickly. It took root, and there was a snowballing effect, a change in behavior of our markets, of our financiers, of, uh, of an expectation, and indeed, a snowballing of anxiety, of a lack of trust that have had real-world effects. My mum, bless her, she um, struggles with Alzheimer's. And, uh, but this isn't just true of, of more latterly. She has a phone which she likes, and there are a few apps that she lives by, believe it or not. Uh, they cause a great amount of struggle, and she phones me up regularly to say, I think I've broken it, and I say, no, you haven't. But the Met Office is brilliant, but also it's become a bane. Do you have the Met Office weather app? It's great when it sends alerts, isn't it? But it sends alerts to my mum about weather in northern Scotland. I really need to get down on this. And she's like, there's going to be a great gale in Stornoway. And I'm like, probably it's always blowing up there, isn't it? Sorry. I know we've got Scottish visitors in. Sorry. Um, We love Scotland. But she's like, like, I can't go out. The trees are going. And it affects her. I mean, they're there to help us to know when it's hot or cold or windy or wet or snowy. Real world effects in view of. Our view and belief, that which is internal affects what we do, how we respond, what comes out and the way that we live. That Paul is, is writing and deeply challenging us He's not talking about things that might be the idealistic, but the things that are the earthy reality in our prayer time of where we are right now. God is inevitably interested in and wants us to grow. And Paul writes that our behavior stems from the reality of of what God has done and asks us to reflect deeply to make sure that that is Deeply embedded in heart and mind. He says, renew your thinking. Because when we have a settled and deep and mature understanding rooted from the scriptures, in view of that, our lives get lived out. That it makes a difference in every way. What we believe gets worked out practically. Just by way of a a kind of easy illustration. And from time to time, Phil and I are, and, and, and many are privileged to conduct marriage services. And there's a little bit that, uh, that everyone at the congregation is deeply excited for. It's when you now pronounce them husband and wife and they, you know, may kiss the bride. And there's a, that lovely, lovely moment. There is this declaration that in overseeing and, and conducting these things that one Philip or I or the the person presiding declares that marriage has happened through the giving of promises of making a covenant between these two people of saying, I now am yours and you are mine. Beautifully deep and profound and it changes something. You then go on to sign a document legally, but something has changed. You have become married 
true. So it would be slightly bizarre a little bit while later if the husband and wife wake up, wake, wake up either I'm not particularly uh, wanting to cast aspersions either in the male or female, but to wake up in the morning thinking, well, I don't know if those promises hold today, do they? I don't feel very married today. Whatever you feel doesn't change the truth. You're married. And as such, what Paul is driving at here is our behavior, and I could actually use the word here, our worship, our heart attitude, and the way that that gets worked out in our living is framed and rooted very much on our beliefs, our convictions, in view of God's mercy. Why do you come to a Sunday service and gather for corporate worship? Because it's declaring that something is really important to us. There's many other options you could have uh, you've done today. You could have gone and kicked some leaves. Or you could have uh, put the telly on, read the Sunday papers, found your comfortable chair, and maybe all thinking now, oh yeah, I'd have rather done that. It's <laughs> a dangerous thing to say. But you're here because of a conviction, an understanding that this is good and right and important because it's about God gathering his people. Similarly, what we do with our our time or money demonstrates what is valuable to you, what is essential, what is really important. If it's golf, if it's shopping, you make the time. If it's reading the paper, sleeping in, or doing an extra bit of work at the end of the day, it signifies that there's something of priority or importance to you. In view of, Paul says, in the light of all that he has understood and he's described to the Romans and to the Roman church and to churches like us, in view of the good news, now live your life actually based on and out of this understanding. Again and again. In scriptures, this view or understanding is a first priority. God comes first. In the Ten Commandments, worship the Lord God, have no other God before me. It's all about Jesus in the picture of Revelation that uh, the Apostle John writes. He has in chapter 4 this understanding that everything of creation is centered where? Around God the Father and God the Son, the throne of God which, upon which the Lord Jesus sits. The whole of our universe stems and flows from and revolves around Almighty God. All life and all existence radiates from Him. Theoretically, you know that, I hope. But the challenge comes when it gets earthy and We need to live this out. William Temple, an archbishop, wrote in 1930, While we deliberate, God reigns. While we decide wisely, God reigns. When we decide foolishly, God reigns. When we serve God in humble loyalty, God reigns. When we serve God self-assertively, God reigns. When we rebel and seek to withhold our service, God 
reigns. The Alpha and the Omega, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Think about that. In view of that, and consider how often this can become in conflict to our nature. See, there's this propensity, this this wiring that because we've lived in this world so long and it's what everyone does, that rather than put God at the center, puts oneself, me, my agenda. The Bible has a very natty little word. It's three letters. I'm sure you know what it is. And it describes life curved in on itself. To believe that actually rather than God being at the center, we are and everything revolves around us. That actually that I should be the focused. I should be the object of adoration and, and, uh, and uh, admiration and, and actually I'm owed. We want to be the center. That everything should revolve around us. It's one of those things that children need to learn. Particularly at birthdays and Christmas. I remember uh, one Christmas when I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight, going down and there were so many presents under the tree. Uh, I mean, there weren't actually, but it just seemed that uh, they were all wrapped in that beautiful paper. And there was one really big box behind the tree. And I was like, Picking it up, it was heavy, and I was thinking, oh, is this going to be amazing? It's going to be the amazing piece of Lego or some Tonka toy or, you know, all those things that we used to love. I remember as we opened presents on Christmas Day, all of a sudden, like, Dad got this big box, and I was like, it's for me, it's for me. And he gave it to Mum, and I was so cross. Because <laughs> it wasn't about me. I'd already done that comparison of presents for my brother and who'd got more and how, how big a boxes had he got. I mean, how shallow is that? But we do it in all sorts of ways. If you're wanting to know what he'd bought her, it was a big new set of golf clubs. I didn't like them anyway. <laughs> but I remember being like, it was like a ruined Christmas. And as I reflect on it afterwards, I realized it's because I turned in on myself. It's about me, what I get, what I get out. When we want everything to revolve around us, it's a little bit of an insane view, really. But an insane view, an insane person is out of touch with reality, out of touch self-absorbed. If you believe the universe and everyone in your life should revolve around you, you're out of touch and living with insanity. I say that carefully because I know there's a a bigger description of insanity in certain contexts. But we see this more and more in in the insane culture that we live in. Self-centered, self-consumed, self-assertive, self-aggrandizing, self-promoting. The focus on self and it ends up in this implosion that we live tiny, shrunken lives. 
It's not the best that God has for us. Did you hear at the end of that beautiful phrase that that Eugene Peterson captures? God brings the best out for you in view of the mercy and the character and the purposes and the mystery of God that he's revealed and calls us into. Maturity is leaving our self-centered world of it's about me and moving to say and worship. It's about him and everything gets realigned and reordered. Indeed, one of the 21st century's uh, main questions that we ask ourselves is, are you happy? I mean, it's not a bad question. Even the government has an index of happiness of nations. We're not really up there on that one. But if our goal is, am I happy? It says there's a skewing going on. There's a center, a gravity in our lives that is about me, ultimately not him. The challenge in growing in Christ is finding that our gaze is moved elsewhere, of away from ourself and out to him. Of seeing in the very minutiae of our living and the very wonder of our living that he's involved with it and it's about him. So from the big the little are you living for God do you know that you are created not to please yourself but made to please him in the Westminster catechism the chief end of man and that was phrased a few centuries ago let's put of humanity of people male and female is to glorify God and enjoy him forever that's why we exist That's how we live life in its fullness. That's how we discover God's best for us. To glorify God and enjoy Him. When it's out of view, when we've lost track that God is at the center, when we've put ourselves, substituted there, for our desire, our want, our needs, it all goes awry. We find ourselves making bargains with God. As a 16-year-old, I didn't believe in God, but in desperation, you might try anything. The reason was GCSEs were coming and I hadn't done any revision, standard. And I remember being in the garden pleading and said, God, if you're real, having spent years not even considering God and arguing against him. If you give me good results, I'll believe in you. And I did get reasonable results. And the Lord helped me to that. (laughs) But for not three years, I didn't give him any regard. I know this can be really, really painful. I'm begging God to heal my loved one. But he did not, therefore I've become disillusioned and I'm turning away from God. I've been begging God for a a new job or a, a change of place to live and he's not given it to me, so I'm moving away from him. I've implored him, I've fasted and prayed, he didn't do it, so I'm walking away. He's not provided my life companion. Why should I bother? See, at the heart of this 
is that failure to grasp that I don't exist for my own desires, but for him. Is he at the center? Is he on the throne? Think back across the week. Where did he figure? In the decisions made, was it about him or something else? Who calls the shots? Who affects your moods? Who or what has the power to cause you to despair or to rejoice? Who pushes your buttons? It's a challenge, isn't it? Even for Christians. If you're a parent, as a Christian, is your family on the throne of your life, your children? I'm totally devoted to my child's well-being Or a parent, I'm totally devoted to my family. And I know there's a sense of that's good. But do you really really mean totally devoted? Only one deserves that. Anyone else, anything else the Bible would call idolatry. Is your boyfriend or girlfriend on the throne? Do they have the place that loving Jesus fully should have can you truly say that you love God more than anything or any person as deep as that may sound it is in view of God's mercy he is good for us and contending for us he is like the potter with clay he's very good Uh, Even if we've molded something in our lives that has become ultimately imperfect, he can work again and again to reform. You see, the history of the church is studded with remarkable conversions of people who didn't want to be converted, who are not looking for grace, but were even, even opposed to it. And yet, by the interposing arm of eternal mercy... They were struck down and transformed into earnest and devoted followers of Jesus. Mercy means that the the upward look of God and of heavens doesn't expect God to stay in heaven, but to come down, to enter in, to join alongside our condition, to accomplish the vast enterprise of redemption, to fashion in us his eternal salvation. At the root of of the word mercy is to be inclined. To be inclined towards us. So how do we grow? Out of that view of God and his mercy through Jesus Christ. He says let life flow. Let life flow. In the thinking and the decision, in the serving, of knowing it's not about me at the center, but him. Want to see how that gets embodied and worked out? Regard Jesus for a time. He calls us to follow him. Regard Jesus, the servant, the one who didn't consider life something to be grass or made center, but emptied himself. And follow in his ways. called to serve because in serving in view of God's mercy in all that he is we find abundant fullness of life
I'm really, really glad that in a survey not so long ago, 81% of evangelical Christians do voluntary work at least once per month, compared with 26% of the wider population. I think that's in view of God's mercy. To say it's not just about me and mine and myself, but about others. In this time of, uh, of coming challenge in the winter, there's all sorts of ways to care and love. Make an extra portion of food that's hot and nourishing. Maybe find someone to take it to. Martin Luther King Jr. had these great words. Everyone can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to, be a co- to have a college degree or a university doctorate to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Let's pray together.